Let's, uh, let's pray. pray. Bow with me. Thank you, Father, for this time, for Sunday evening, to assemble around the bread and the cup, listen to the witness of Scripture, and, and hear uh, the things you have done, and sense in those things new things you are doing, and contemplate with great anticipation things you shall do. We pray, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with wonder as we look into the Scripture. We pray that you would open our minds and give us room uh, for your words, that you would help us uh, to take them seriously, the things which have blocked our ears from hearing and dulled our senses, the the many hits we've taken throughout the week or maybe over the holiday or the, the, uh, the, uh, the coma-like feeling of uh, the holidays of eating lots and relaxing hard. And Father, wake us, stir us, help us to encounter you this evening. We thank you for the assembled church. Uh, we are held uh, by your people and we're grateful for that. We pray that you're with those among us who are frightened, discouraged, that you give those among us who are strong and able wisdom to share, but that we would share all things in common through Christ. We praise you for the gift of the cross and the resurrection, the ascension, and the coming future. And this is in Jesus the Lord. Amen. Uh, good afternoon, January 7th. Uh, we're, we are starting a, uh, a journey into the gospel uh, called Mark. And uh, Scott can correct me next week when he speaks. I don't want to overstate, but I, I think we're going to be there for a while. <laughs> um, uh, the, the, there's lots to say. Uh, the Gospel of Mark, it's the shortest of the Gospel accounts, or it seems to be the shortest, or at least it feels like it's the most uh, sparse. It is action-packed. There is so much happening, and it requires of us a level of engagement that I think we need. uh, I I don't know about you, but... um, Learning to read parts of the Bible I'm familiar with again has been a lifeline for me over the, the years as a Christian. Um, why Mark? Uh, well, it's as good a choice as any. <laughs> um, it, it is a, it is a, uh, a reading. Uh, there's a reading plan that many churches use and that Mark will be for the year for those who, who choose that plan. Uh, so that's one reason. It's, it's the, the chosen reading. Uh, but I think Mark will help us to grow. Uh, I, I think Mark will uh, help us in our formation, uh, becoming more like the kinds of people that God desires. Uh, it will put us in touch with uh, the hope that we have. Um, so if you've not if you've not read through Mark, uh, you have a year. It's only 16 chapters. Uh, see how many times you can get through it. <laughs> um, uh, but, okay, so just just a few, like, uh, 
introductory comments to the gospel because I think this will help um, as we move into it. And it'll at least give you some hooks, things I can remind you of, uh, Scott can remind you of, and whoever else speaks on this, these passages as we go forward. Uh, so the, probably, uh, most likely, it's, it's pretty much consensus at this stage in the game. Mark is the earliest of the accounts in the Christian Bible. Uh, it comes first, although if you open the New Testament, lo and behold, it's second. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's likely that uh, Matthew and Luke are at some level dependent on Mark's account. Probably connected to the Apostle Peter. That's really interesting because Mark portrays Peter and the other apostles in not always the greatest light. There's a certain amount of uh, humility we can learn from how the apostles describe them stumbling around in the dark, as it were, in the life of faith. Uh, they, they don't come out squeaky clean like we imagine them. They struggle to make sense of what's happening all throughout the book. Uh, And it's not until the very end of the book, there's a a Roman at the death of Jesus who who seems to be the first one who really gets what's going on. That's that's intentional in in this story. Those closest seem to have the hardest time getting it. Does that ring a bell for you? It does for me. Um, But it is written for and to the church. It is, and you'll see that, it it is offering the shape of life in the church. What it would look like for one to follow Jesus and be numbered among his people. It's written to the church, and so we we are able to see in the apostles something of our own struggle. And those who hear Jesus' words, uh, something of our own encounter. That's full of wonderful themes and motifs. There's all kinds of things which are repeated throughout this gospel, which will become important. Uh, One of the big things in Mark is the the fancy word is Christology or Christology. Uh, But it's like the the thinking about Jesus, Jesus's identity. As you're going to see in the verses we'll read this morning, uh, sorry, I worked hard to not say this morning. I already said it twice tonight. This evening, um, uh, you'll see that uh, the writer is is very suggestive about Jesus. You're left, even at the verses we read, is like, holy cow, what is he saying about Jesus? Jesus' identity is is a big deal. Connected to that is this theme of secrecy. Many can't see what is right in front of them, as I've mentioned. There's a kind of secret about who Jesus is. In fact, at one point, Jesus tells his followers, to you has been given the, the, the secrets or the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those on the outside, I speak in parables. There is this almost like Jesus making it challenging for those listening to grasp who he is. You really are going to have to lean in if you want to see it. 
You're going to have to clear out some of the rubble in your own heart and ears to hear it. Secrecy is a major theme. Discipleship, what it looks like to follow Jesus when you don't see very well. (laughs) That is a, a reality. The cross, as you can imagine, it's a theme in all accounts of the gospel, in the Bible at least. Uh, but the cross is huge. Uh, the, the cross is, is not just something that happens. It's not just an event in Mark's account. It's a command at some level. It's a way of being. Mark, throughout our, his portrayal of Jesus' ministry, is summoning the church to her death, to a life which has given its meaning and shape by Jesus' crucifixion. You could say the life of the cross or the way of the cross. There are all kinds of things that come up over and over. And we'll, I'll just let them, as they come up, we'll pay attention to it. Uh, There are uh, themes of sandwiches, not like actual sandwiches, but literary sandwiches that are going to be so fun to unpack as we come to them. Uh, But I want you to remember these themes, even as we read today's uh, set of verses. Um, Now, one last thing that Mark, and this is why I mentioned he can be demanding. Um, It is... uh, It is assuming you know about what we've called the Old Testament. It's really assuming you know that. And it's going to cause us, as reading Mark, if we're not familiar with the Old Testament, we're going to be sent on a number of detours back to Israel's scriptures so that we might hear at the right register what Mark is trying to say. He is, I mean... The first verses we'll look at today, as I was preparing this, I'm like, we need a few weeks with classes afterwards just to unpack all of the things that are happening in this, these first set of verses. Mark is offering such a, his, this framework for thinking about Jesus is so informed by the scriptures. There's engagement at every level with them. This is a great way to put it. The Gospels are not freestanding narratives, but are stories that must be set into a larger frame supplied by the history of God's prior dealings with his people. So we're going we're to see that Jesus isn't just dropped out of left field. It is a kind of climax to a very old story. It'd be like if you started with the two towers, but haven't seen Fellowship of the Ring. Does that that metaphor work? What's a better one? Like you saw Die Hard 2, but not Die Hard 1. I I think you could do that, though. You don't need to see both of those. You got to see one. That's true. Amen. Forgive me. You're right. Uh, uh, That's true. Yeah. But, But it's like we're jumping in, in like Act 2 of a long story. Now, the the... The, the book is called, or it's given the name, Euangelion Katamarkon. Uh, you can see the Greek there. That is the gospel according to Mark. According to Mark. I work really hard as someone who speaks to people about the gospel to always say the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to John, whatever, Luke. Uh, so that you don't aren't left with the impression that it's like Luke's gospel. 
or Mark's gospel or John's gospel. But this is the gospel that is the good news according to Mark. Mark has a very specific take on the gospel, and he has intentions in the way he talks about it. But these four uh, uh, accounts of the gospel, it's important to see that. It's one gospel. There's not a thousand different gospels. There's one gospel, and this is Mark's account of the gospel. If you you have the ability and the energy and the willingness, would you stand as we read uh, Mark 1, 1 through 11? It'll only take a few seconds. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins, uh, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. You may be seated. There's so much going on here. I, I won't get into to all of it. Uh, but let's just take the first line quickly, as quickly as I can. Every word in the first line. <laughs> because every word is huge. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A gospel, we're familiar with the term gospel. You've heard this word before. Uh, Christians say it. Preach the gospel, brother. Preach the gospel, sister. I'm going out to share the gospel. I don't know about you if you've sat back to think about what you mean by that. What is the content of the gospel? Its meaning is, is pretty basic and pretty specific, actually, in these texts. The gospel's basic meaning is an announcement, usually except in one case of something good, something, something good. It's good news. It's news. I'll say it again, even though it sounds stupid. It's news. It's not advice. It's news. It's about something that has happened. And we think of the gospel often in terms of 
you need to be baptized, you need to uh, change your ways or something like that. But all of those flow out of the news. It's an announcement. Now, what sort of announcement is it? Well, this is where we're sent right back into the prophet Isaiah. The Psalms. We learn that the announcement has everything to do with God becoming king. It's a special word. It's good news about something that has happened. The result of which life can no longer be the same. It's a news about something large which has implications for the way we live. But it's not first and foremost advice as much as it is an announcement. And it's a scandalizing announcement. The Lord has become king. The good news in the Roman world is connected to the emperor and its birthday. When, whenever there's a change of guard in the castle in, in Rome, you would have the good news, the same word going out. There is a new emperor. We can have peace now. That's not what is meant in the Bible. In fact, in Paul's letters, probably, gospel meant Jesus is Lord and the king in Rome is not. It's a kind of counter gospel. But it's an announcement about something that has happened. And it's connected to Jesus Christ, born to Joseph and Mary Christ. (laughs) It's not a last name. This is a royal title, Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the Anointed One, the King. The news, the good news of God's reign has something to do with this individual known as Jesus the Messiah, the Anointed One. And he is the Son of God. And right off, Mark takes us through a very sophisticated quote here. It says, like it says in the prophet Isaiah, but he's actually quoting three different uh, parts, all having to do with the Exodus. But he leads us right back to the time when the people of God were in exile. Especially this passage from Isaiah. He's quoting uh, a passage in Isaiah that has to do with the word gospel, the good news. And in Isaiah, the good news is it's the same thing that God is king, but your long exile is over. And he quotes from Exodus and Malachi as well. The idea that God would go before his people and bring them into the land, bringing us back to these themes of being delivered. Whatever it, ha- it is, whatever the news is about Jesus Christ, it's not small, it's not private, it's not first and foremost personal. <laughs> it is large. It has to do with a changing of the guard. It's an announcement after having heard it, uh, life could no longer be the same. The world could no longer be the same. That's how large this is. Mark is taking us right back to that period by quoting this line from Isaiah. What's he saying? Well, the announcement of Jesus Christ is an announcement about the end of a very long exile. 
You you are being put on notice that the way you've understood your life is different. This would be a hard thing to accept. Imagine hearing that even in our own country, that things are going to be different now. There's going to be equality and racism is going to come to an end. Say, yeah, right. I don't think so. There's no policy out there that has been able to do that. But that's the the size of this news, that God is becoming king. Ready yourself. This is big. And there's a prophet out there dressed like an old prophet. In case you didn't catch the illusion, again, there's a story about a man named Elijah who dressed just like this. And John, this person John, is conjuring up that story. And where is he? He's out in the wilderness. Wilderness is a theme in Jesus' ministry in Mark. The exile is over. If you want to know what to do, meet me in the desert. (laughs) And people are going out to this secluded place where where we're told in, in Scripture, God teaches and trains and loves his people. And people are flocking out to this prophet uh, dressed like a madman who hearkens up the fiery message of Elijah and he's saying, change your ways. The exile is over. Ready yourself. Ready yourself. Prepare for it. This This is about repentance and forgiveness of sins. Well, there's no crucifixion yet yet so how can sins be forgiven <laughs> look with me at isaiah chapter 40 how you guys doing you okay we're almost through it isaiah 40 verse 1 that passage i just told you about the end of the exile possibly the most encouraging words in the bible comfort comfort y'all My people, says your God, speak tenderly to her, to Jerusalem, and cry to her that her warfare is ended, or her service is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. When the exile is coming to an end for Israel, this story, there's an announcement No more suffering in exile. No more living away from home. Now my message to you is not change or you're going to go into exile. It's now you've paid above and beyond. You've suffered even beyond what is required. And I want to bring you good news, comfort. Your sins are forgiven. I don't remember them anymore, as Jeremiah says. The exile is over. Forgiveness of sins in Mark. And repentance isn't about me changing every little thing that I've done wrong in my life so that my personal sins can be forgiven. This is the idea that when the exile comes to a close, it can only be talked about as being forgiven, having debts canceled, sins forgiven. There's a parallel between living in exile apart from God and being stuck in sin. And God is canceling the debt and the exile is over. It's coming. 
And you can now, forgiveness of sins isn't a new thing. That's available. There's a whole book in the Bible in, in the Old Testament about how to get forgiveness of sins. It's not a new thing with Jesus. But this is the kind of forgiveness that signals the end of a long exile, just like Isaiah. So people are coming out to hear this message and to align themselves and to prepare themselves. Those that hear it and don't say, I doubt it. (laughs) I I doubt it. Now, I, I don't even know what this would look like for you. It's about the people, though. I know that. That the people, those who are willing to embrace what God is about to do, to get in on this end of an exile, come and they hear this message of repentance. What is expected? What does he mean? And it could be a number of things for us. But this John in the wilderness is in effect rolling out a red carpet. He's preparing a way for God to come. Not for us to go home or for us to go to Jerusalem, or to have everything in our life fixed, but for God to come to us. But the path has to be prepared, and it has to do with this word, repentance. What does it mean? Well, I think it means a lot of things. But I don't think he just means change your behavior. But it does mean change your behavior. There are certain behaviors that will no longer work, given this news. But what first and foremost I think repentance means here is open yourself up to something surprising that you might be tempted to doubt will work. Open yourselves up to news that you're proud. And some of us may be sitting there, I tried it. I've been coming to church for a long time. I tried it. It doesn't work. (laughs) The message here in Mark is open yourselves up. Believe in what Jesus is doing. Open yourselves to the extent that you can hear and believe. Something big is happening. Don't treat it small. Don't make it just about you. Listen carefully what's happening. Something big is happening. Repent. I came across this passage recently, and I think it, it helps me a lot. I'll read a couple paragraphs to you, and we're going to, sh- we're going to shut it down at, at the Lord's Supper. This is from Henry Nouwen's book, uh, The Inner Voice of Love. This is great. You have an idea of what the new country looks like. Still, you are very much at home, although not truly at peace in the old country. You know the ways of the old country, its joys and pains, its happy and sad moments. You've spent most of your days there, even though you know that you have not found there what your heart most desires. You remain quite attached to it. It has become part of your very bones. Now you've come to realize that you must leave it and enter the new country where your beloved dwells. You know that what helped and guided you in the old country no longer works. But what else do you have to go by? You are being asked to trust that you will find what you need in the new country that requires the death of what has become so precious to you, influence, success, yes, even affection, praise. Trust is hard since you have nothing to fall back on still. Trust is what is essential. 
I think this is something like what John means. I love this image. Being summoned to a new country where you don't know the ways. I know this. I know my life as it is. I know my life before you made the announcement about Jesus and the, the, the changes which will ensue because of this news. I'm familiar with that. I don't love it, but it works. <laughs> it works well enough. And now the gospel is being announced and it's as if the entire human population, Israel first, is being summoned to enter a new world where they've never been and they don't know the ways. And it's vulnerable. And it takes trust. And you're going to have to offer your hand and be led into a wilderness of vulnerability where you trust that God is doing something that's so surprising that it goes against most of what you think is possible. That's the announcement of the gospel. God is bringing an end to the exile. Override that impulse within you to reject it and treat it as if it was small. And come and open your mind to what's happening. That's really the only call of the text that we've read so far. And it's the most demanding thing I can think of. To truly open ourselves up to God. Not to close down, but to open up. Well, he goes on. And from this message of repentance, we find even Jesus himself entering the waters of baptism. Where? And he makes it clear. It's in the wilderness. Oh, that rings a bell. Story of Israel. Forgiveness of sins. Isaiah, okay. The exile's coming to a close. That rings a bell. And he's baptizing where? Dressed like who? (laughs) The Jordan River. Oh, there's another story of familiar. Do you remember the story of the Jordan River? The, the Jordan is, is the, the boundary of the promised land. There's a story in the book of Joshua. Israel is brought right to the edge of the Jordan. On one side of the river, they are not landed. They don't have a home. They have been wandering. Some of them have a home on this side, but that's beside the point. On the other side of the, of the river is their home. They have to go through the river to get home. On one side, they're wanderers. On the other side, they're home. Oh, John is hearkening back to that story. This baptism, this being open to what God is doing and coming down into the Jordan and coming out of the other side. It's like being led into the promised land. It's like readying yourself for a brand new country, a brand new life where it's really uncomfortable and you're naked and vulnerable and you need all kinds of new laws and ways of thinking because you're used to the old way. Jesus himself enters these waters. What does he say? It says he sees heaven, not just heaven opened, but heaven ripped open. Heaven ripped open. It's a, it's a fairly violent word. Ripped open. That also comes from Isaiah. Last quote, and we're landing the plane. This is a prayer from Isaiah. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. What's Mark saying? God heard your prayer. <laughs> 
Look at the things that Mark has done, bringing all these stories together, this announcement of Jesus Christ. Who comes down? Who's the prayer to come down? God. God, would you intervene and come down? Here at Jesus' baptism, the heavens, the same language, are ripped open and they see God's Holy Spirit descending. What's, what's the point? Well, you draw the conclusion. What does Mark think of Jesus? He has a pretty high view of who Jesus is. This ain't your run-of-the-mill prophet. This rolling out the red carpet, changing your mind about the news, something big is happening. And I love, and this is for me, why we want to spend time in the gospel accounts. Jesus. We want to see Jesus as they're portraying him. Jesus ain't just to fix our broken lives, just individual fix the things that we struggle with, or just forgive my personal sins. He's talking about something so big that it's so much better than if it were just about me. Jesus and the calling, what he's doing through the good news is large. It's God. Now Mark doesn't jump out and say that. As you can see, it's already you're kind of... Is he saying that Jesus is God? That's an outrageous thing to say. They, we asked for God to come down, and Mark's saying God came down. <laughs> the, Jesus is being portrayed as the Lord from Scripture. So here we're off and running. The news that the gospel sets out is big, and it's summoning us to open ourselves at a level that feels uncomfortable maybe even to embrace what's going to happen and it's going to be challenging it involves dying it involves changing the way you think and act and what you do with your money and what you do with your time and your sexuality and your home and all that you know and encounter will be absorbed into this brand new reality and so you're going to first have to open yourself up that God is doing something. This ain't just a religion. This is a big deal. So Mark will call us and ask us, how do you see? What do you see? When you look at Jesus, do you see the church as God? Or do you see something bigger? When you look at Jesus, do you see a personal healer? Or do you see something bigger? And I love this because this is the question I feel like I'm having to answer over and over and over again. Who do I think Jesus is and what does that mean? Pray with me. Uh, we'll, end, we'll anticipate the end of the gospel here in the bread and the cup. Father, we thank you for these, the way that this is kicked off the way that this whole news about Jesus has started, the first account we have of your coming starts off with a bang. It starts off with uh, cataclysmic news. We thank you that you have, you have uh, come to set all things right through your Son. We thank you that this announcement was made and we can hear and decide whether or not we choose to embrace it. Help us, God, at the deepest level to hear it. Even though it means for all of us at some level to leave a familiar land and enter a new place. Grant us the ability 
to come. Grant us the ability to hear and believe. We come searching for you. We come searching uh, not just for the thought of forgiveness, but the experience of the end of an exile. The freedom from the bondage of sin, not just the news that we've been forgiven, but the, the actual encounter of forgiveness through changed lives because of your Holy Spirit, which already at the outset we are told you shall give. We thank you, God. We thank you that this story, which starts on such a royal note, ends in the cross. And as we take the bread and the juice, we see salvation. Once again confronted with what we think about this meal. Help us to see, God. Thank you for all you do through your Son and through these words. It's in Christ. Amen.